process, not outcome. Welcome to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, proudly brought to you by L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. 707 Walnut in Philly, always at LLPavorsky.com. I am Spike Eskin, along with a guy whose name I forgot how to pronounce about 10 minutes into the four-hour podcast I did earlier this week. <laughs> That's Mike Levin. Morning, Mike. Uh, I just... I can't express how little I listened to that podcast. <laughs> there was never even – the second it, down, it downloaded my phone, it, it had no life. I blocked that shot. I Jeremy granted that, that podcast right into the stance. The uh, the podcast we speak of, we'll get to it in a second. The, uh, the podcast is available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud. Tune in. We are no longer on our march to 1,000 five-star iTunes ratings as we hit – we're at like 1,090, so I did the four-hour podcast in which I read every iTunes review we've ever gotten. It was way harder than I thought it was going to be. I'll tell you that. It was, a, it was much more difficult. It was a slog. So Four hours. Four hours. I'm shocked. By the way, that one that you responded to that called you Matt, I did that I, that I tweeted out, the one that I thought was very funny. I did some internet searching of how he signed his... his uh, his review and his name, and I found a blog that he did in 2006 that was written in the same style, and then somebody else found his Amazon reviews, which are written in the same style. So I emailed him, and he wrote me back in the same style. So that guy's great. But otherwise, I'm glad it's over. It was way, And I'm shocked at the number of people who have listened to it. So like any, anything more than one has been, was, was amazing to me. So I, I think, actually, it's a much bigger testament to actually listen i had to record it but listening to it was completely optional for everyone so i'm sorry i did it i apologize to you <laughs> so on the podcast today it's a big podcast obviously we have Ange goldstein on in on the podcast which is the headliner but the warm-up for Ange is one of our i mean this is one of our favorite process sixers ever right i mean he's on the I think the Mount Rushmore of process sixers, and that is Tony Roten, who tweeted earlier this week about being the originator of Trust the Process. And of course, uh, a few of our listeners suggested he come on the podcast. He said yes. Philip DM'd him. He said yes again. We have his phone number. So in about five minutes, we're going to call him and we're going to see if Tony Roten actually comes on the podcast. That's pretty huge. Pretty, pretty huge get. Yeah. You know, I think on the, the grand scale of on-brand podcast guests, you know, everyone has asked about Ricky Sanchez, and I've said continually, I think that should be our final podcast when we have Ricky Sanchez on. I don't want to have him on before that. But outside of that, Tony Roten, sort of a hero of the podcast, so, uh, so I'm really excited to have him on. Any, any thoughts you had? I texted Mike earlier this week. I was like, Tony Roten confirmed for the podcast. So I gave you no option but to get up early this morning and do the podcast yeah. with the Tony Roten. Yeah. yeah, not much I could do. But 
you know, if there's anybody I'm waking up for, it's Tony. No, I think he, I think he is the second. I mean, Brandon Davies is up there, but I think Roten has has had more more longevity in in terms of relevance, just because of his affiliation with Trust the Process. Yeah, and he's got, in fairness to Brandon Davies, he does have more highlights than Brandon Davies did. I, sure just enough. in terms of the Vine-style six-second highlights, Tony Roten has more of them, I guess. I mean, it depends on how you how you define highlights. Brandon Davies missed a bunch of threes by a lot. <laughs> it's hard. Which is also, which is also vineable. It's it's hard to capture grit in a six second highlight, <laughs> yeah. so that's why Brandon Davies is is not yeah. quite the same. It's all it's also hard to shoot threes, as Brandon Davies would tell you. Yeah, yeah, uh, Tony Roten could probably attest to too uh, to a certain sure extent. Enough. Yeah. Uh, anything else? I want to call him right at eleven, so we have two more minutes to fill. Anything else you got? Any other stories from the uh, week? I'm just keeping my. I got my. I got a couple questions here. Yep. Um. I wonder how he's going to be. Yeah, I don't I'm know. I'm interested to see because he was on the team when they drafted Embiid. I feel like that's an interesting. He's. I mean, he's a. It's a weird like. Um. I, I think he will have a lot if if he if he decides to get real with us. I think he'll have a lot of insight into what things were like. Maybe the MCW trade. Um, the last days of Hawes, Thad, and Turner. Yeah, well, I mean, he was here for the bad part of it, and the you know the only we had the only has the only process sixer we've had on been Ben Stauskas, I guess, right? Yeah, and yeah. he was um, he was there for the ten win year, but he wasn't there for the the build up. I think Roten Roten went through a lot more of I'm curious to see what he thinks of Brett and what he thought of Sam. Yeah. And you know, I I'll see how I'm feeling, but I have to ask him, I think, about the the with the ACL injury, the famous Nets yeah. game that the the uh sort of the, the JFK conspiracy theory <laughs> of, of Tony Roten knee injuries that I have about him yeah, being injured. Certainly in as, as many people care about <laughs> that, that that tape as they do about the Zapruder film. <laughs> okay, well, I am going to. So I'm um not at home because I was I wanted to make sure I had a more stable line to call Tony Roten. So and I, you don't want to explain to Tony Roten that your dog barks sometimes. That's actually not even why. I'm, I was really just worried about his. I don't mind explaining to Tony Roten about my dog. I, I'm proud explaining my dog. I think it's. Okay. Oh no. Uh oh. Tony. Oh, there we go. Spelled it wrong. Okay, I'll be right back. I actually have to go away from the mic to call him, so I'll be back. All right. Tony, can you hear us? Yes, sir. There he is, Tony Roten. How's it going, Tony? This is Mike. I'm doing. I'm doing great, Mike. How you doing? I'm great, man. Thanks for coming on. Oh man, my pleasure. Thank you. So, where are you in the country? Are you in Seattle right now? Where are you? Yeah, I'm actually in Seattle, you know what I'm saying, just, um, you know, working out. I'm back and forth from Seattle and um, L.A. You know, I work out, you know, Seattle and L.A. And, you know, so I'm um, just there working out and I'm um, just getting ready for the season and just, you know, just waiting for the call. 
So where does that stand? I guess I mean uh, the last uh, the last I remember was with uh, Memphis last year, right? And then yeah. Um, so you know, I, I guess give us a little insight into what it's like being you right now, waiting for that call. Um, like, do you do you get calls? Do you talk to other people? Does your your agent reaching out, or or is it just a waiting game for you? Um, you know, it's, you know, pretty much a little bit of um, all of those, and you know, we, you know, you know, a few teams that you know we've been talking to and discussing, you know, and, and right now, you know, our training camp stuff like that. So, you know, it's just a you know a situation where you just got to be ready. You know what I mean? And not not worry about when or where. You know what I mean? So, you know, I'm blessed enough to where I play in the NBA, and I'm definitely talented enough. So I'm ready to get back and you know just. For. What parts of your game specifically are you working on that maybe your agent or other teams are telling you like if you do this then this is you know then we'll be interested. Is there something that you miss? Uh, the whole answer actually. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's, it's fine. You know, okay. you know, I was you know I was just saying that you know the the biggest thing that I worked on this summer and continue to work on now is. Um, my mid-range jump shot, you know, and being able to get to the basket, you know, mm-hmm. frequently and um, a lot, you know, I feel like talking, you know, as we talk to teams and for myself personally, you know, one thing we definitely focused on and are continuing to focus on is, you know, my mid-range jump shot. So that's definitely one thing I've been working on the most. When you ended up with the Knicks, do you feel like you got a, a real shot there? What was What was the situation there like? Uh, no, it was a great, you know, opportunity. You know, I was definitely, you know, shorter than what I wanted. But, you know, that's, you know, that's what happens. You know, sometimes, you know, the ball doesn't bounce your way. And, you know, sometimes, you know, teams just have other plans. You know, so at the end of the day, you know, I think New York, in the short time I was there, I loved it. You know, I learned a lot and was able to, you know, get close with a lot of guys and still talk to them to this day. So, you know, it was a great opportunity and I cherished it, you know, so... At the end of the day, it's, you know, definitely was a blessing regardless. So we uh, we have been doing this podcast since right before uh, the, the the first Sam Hinkie draft of the Sixers. So right before he <laughs> traded Drew Holiday. So we've been we've been through it's been a lot of losses, but we've had a lot of fun following it. And your your era being with the Sixers is you know wasn't a lot of wins, but we had a lot of fun. And you were one of the players that we. Like we gravitated to, you were a lot of fun to watch. So you're, do you, do you feel that it's a very strange fan base? Like it's a fan base <laughs> that remembers that time. Do you hear from Sixers fans a lot? Yeah, you know, because uh, you know, there's really you no, know, you know, Philadelphia fans. You know, some of the best fans, if not the best fans in the NBA. And uh, you know, with them, you know, there's no in between. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's either they love you or they don't. You know what I mean? And. They're, all they ask for you is to play hard. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, they want to win, but, you know, the hard-nosed and you know, Philadelphia background, you know, just playing hard. And, you know, and ever since I got there, man, you know, obviously we wasn't winning as much as, you know, they might wanted to or we might have wanted to, but, man, I love every bit of it. You know what I'm saying? The, the fans, you know, the dedication, and no matter what our record was, you know, people were definitely supporting us. And, and at the end of the day, I loved it. You know what I mean? And that's where, you know, I, I, the trust the process thing just came about because uh, obviously, you know, people, including ourselves, you know, were disappointed in the seasons 
or the records, but I seen something, you know what I mean? And I knew it was going to, you know, take patience, you know, dedication, and you know, and for the fans to believe in us, you know what I mean? And um, Philly's like a second home to me other than Seattle, so um, I loved it, you know, and I love the fans, and I still cherish everything. I love everything about Philadelphia. Yeah, what during that time I'm interested in like what was conveyed to the players because it sort of became like a little bit of a caricature like in the media of what the Sixers were doing, but I was but like on the day to day, what is like what is what was Brett and the assistant coaches? What were they saying to you guys about like what was happening to, with the team? Uh, really, you know, our job is to play. You know what I mean? So and you can't really control what the media is saying or other people think. So especially our team being so young all the years, you know what I mean? Coach Brown, terrific coach, was just telling us to just worry about, you know, our, what we control, control what we control. And you know, we worked extremely hard, you know what I mean, every day, you know, before practice, we had pre-practice, you know what I mean, where we're coming in and get extra shots out, a full workout, you know, so our entire team was, you know, is all every day in full sweat before our practice even starts. I mean, so it was development and, you know, and continue to get better and progress. And as we continue to grow, as they they continue to grow and through the draft and players' injuries recovering, you know, I feel like, you know, the process, you know, is definitely here. And after all those years, coach was telling us, you know, just worry about what you're worried about and just, work and get better at being you on and off the court each day and everything take care of itself and that's really his goal and his speech to us I want to get to the trust the process thing in a second of course we have to ask you about that but you you mentioned Coach Brown and one of the things that we always were uh, I don't know if proud of or excited by is that when you guys uh, you guys went through some tough times some long losing streaks but there was rarely, if ever, anything that you would hear about problems in the locker room or people complaining. Where on losing teams, you usually hear that a lot, but we never heard it from you guys. How much of that was Brett, and how much of it was you guys? And why do you think there was such a, a bond between you guys at a time where you weren't winning that many games? Um, because you know, people who don't know Coach Brown, you know, they might you know think it, you know, he is screaming and yelling and got to get his point across, you know, because I got hit my first year in Philadelphia was also his first year. And um, when we when he came to the Sixers, you know, the first thing, that, you know, my teammates and I, oh, he came from the Spurs, you know what I'm saying? And everyone respects everything about the Spurs, obviously, because, you know, Coach Pop and what they accomplished and the players and just how they run their whole organization. So when, you know, Coach Brown came in, not only did he demand respect, he was already getting it from the players, you know, just because of his reputation and where he came from. So, you know, he's a player's coach, and that's what we love about him, you know. So I know we in Philadelphia there's a lot of roster change and, you know, not do faces, but regardless who's on a team, you know, I was blessed enough where I was – I stayed, you know, on a team for the majority of the years, his years, and – Regardless of who's on the team, he, you know, we always, he always, we always had his respect to him 100%, no matter who was on the team. And and when you got a coach, a player's coach who 
players love. You know, all the players run a, run through all for him, and they don't want to let him down. You know what I mean? We, even though we was losing a lot, man, we was playing hard, and we was really trying to ch- turn things around, man. And he, if one person was, was patient, man, his coach. You know, because obviously there's a lot. There was a lot, a lot of negative things to where you could have, where he could have broke down and gave up, but. Regardless, he always stayed with the team. He always, we always stayed together, and no matter what our record was, you know, we always practiced as a team. We always practiced hard, man. And you know, that's a huge part of Coach Brown, man. So he took a lot of responsibility and a lot of trust in us, and you know, I feel like it's definitely starting to pay off. You, so you had to live through or play through a lot of trades in the few years we were the Sixers when they traded. Yeah. Pause or Thad Young, Evan Turner, and then the big MCW trade. Uh, what was it like for you personally when when you saw all those guys get get shipped out? Um, the first big trade with like Spencer and you know Evan Turner, Thaddeus. Um, you know, you kind of felt in the air and a vibe that you know there's going to be a lot of changes going on, and you know you knew you know that things are kind of turning turning and got to go a different way so it wasn't really big to me when you know though the veteran guys went there when mike had got traded that's when it hit me hard because you know, that was like that's still like one of my best friends to this day you know i talk to him every day and you know when it was funny because a lot of guys thought that we hated each other because we played the same position and you know we was a battle a lot but you know brothers fight brothers you know battle and me and mike Super close. So when that hit, when when he got traded, it hit me hard, you know, because obviously, you know, when people get traded, people don't really think about their feelings or the, the teammates, you know what I mean. So that's when I opened my eyes. Like, okay, this is serious, you know, this is for real. And like I say, you know, when all the trades start really going, you know, I was a few that really been was was there. So I seen it, and I had to learn that. You know, I had to put my pride aside, my friendships, all that, and just understand this is a business. And, you know, and it's hard to see some of the guys go. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So, and after a while, you started to, you know, okay, this is what it's going to be. This is a business. So, after a while, it kind of the phase you want no more. But, you know, the, Michael, the MC Dove trade was definitely a tough one for me. You guys had a... Uh... A group, I believe, yes. that people still bring up from time to time. It was called Team WAP. Yeah. Any yeah. Team WAP reunion? Yeah. Say it again. I'm sorry. Uh, is there going to be a Team WAP reunion, or can you talk about you guys? <laughs> we remember, it was you, that Khalif is. Wyatt, Vander Blue, and MCW, right? Yes. I mean, actually, man, uh, the WAP thing I got so big, the whole team was really, you know, we came from it. But, you know, since, uh, <laughs> us four... You know, we had started it, you know, when we was in uh, Spain. We was in preseason. We was in Spain, and um, it was in a the, in the hotel, and we was bored. And then uh, us four just start walking, you know, in the city. And, uh, you know, we just gravitated and got closer and closer. Um, Coach, you know, Coach Brown will always see us together, man, and, you know, he always calls the crew, man. Always there goes the crew. Uh, the, the crew's coming together at breakfast. The crew, the crew's coming together for shoot around. They they showing up together for everything. They 
they sit together at team dinners and all this and that. So, you know, um, when that came about, you know, we just, how we came up, you know, with our with the crew and everything. And like I said, the whole team was kind of, you know, being from it. But it's funny, you know, us four, we're still in, group, still in group chats to this day still, and the group chat is still called, you know, Team WAP. So it's kind of <laughs> funny, man, because, uh, you know, regardless of, like, like you said, all the different players coming and going, you know, especially myself, seeing a lot of people leave, I definitely kept a, the majority of everybody, you know, friendships. And, you know, I think that's kind of special that, you know, that, that can happen so long ago, but, you know, we still keep your track, you know what I'm saying? For, you know, for instance, like Khalees overseas, you know, um, Vander, NBA, D-League, me and Mike, NBA, this, you know what I'm saying? And regardless of where we're at, we're always, you know, checking up on each other and seeing how everybody is. So, it's a, it was a great bonding, man, and that those, a lot of those guys I still keep track and talk to them guys still to this day. You know, you mentioned Khalif playing overseas. A lot of players end up making a, a good bit of money and having really good careers over there. Is that something that you you had ever considered, or is that not even part of your in your headspace right now? Oh, uh, you know, you always think about it. You know, what I'm saying I definitely want to provide for your family and definitely want to play a game that you love. But you know. Um, I know, you know, what I'm capable of, and I know what my goal is, and you know, uh, it's the fact that I'm getting back to the NBA. There's no what, there's no if, you know. It's 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 time to really, you know, buckle down and really get back to you know, where I belong. And you know, not only was I there, you know, I you know, I was actually you know, actually making an impact, you know, especially um, in that year in in Philadelphia when Mike had got hurt and I was starting and you know, all that. So. Um, you know, it's definitely something you think about, but um, it's time to get back to where I belong. So we got to ask you about the. So the first time we, I think, we heard you say trust the process was in an article by Pablo Torre in ESPN the magazine, and that was the first time that the the phrase was associated with the Sixers, and it came out of your mouth. So was that? We have to drill down here. Was that a thing that that? was said from coaches and management was it a thing that you said like where did that where did that come from and when you and then when you look at it see when you look and see what Embiid has done with it and how big it's become how does that make you feel man um, it's a great feeling because the simple fact that it happened so organically you know when I say that it's not like the, the team didn't tell me to say it I wasn't planning on saying it Playing on saying it was what had happened was I was I had got you know I had a, a phone interview with ESPN and um, it was, you know, I, I was I was having a, you know, a great year and it's the beginning of the year and you know um, I was starting and everything and <clears throat> um, you know I was playing terrific but obviously you know as we all know the record our record was wasn't and um, you know so one of the um, and and I've always said every interview I do, you know, I always say I love Philadelphia. Philadelphia is where I want to be. You know, what I'm saying there's no other place, regardless of what our record was. I always said that, and and I meant that. And um, so when I was talking, you know, to the, the dude doing the interview, you know, and he just said, "Ask me," you know, what I'm saying, "What do you have to tell to your, you know, Philly fan supporters?" Because you know we're used to, you know, the Iversons and the Parkleys and. You know what I'm saying? And 
And I just told him, you know, it's a process, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like it's a process that in the future, you know, we're a playoff team. And I, and I was just saying, you know, to the fans and the supporters who really are supporting the Lord to us, you know, just trust us, just trust the organization, you know, trust the coaching staff, staff and trust the players. You know what I'm saying? It's a process that we got to trust and you know, trust the process. And that's, you know, that's how it came about. And it's so funny because when that became like the slogan for the team, it didn't even hit me that I was the first one to say it because it wasn't like, oh, trust my trust the process, that's my thing. You know, it was just something I said that just gravitated and just, just stuck. And, you know, organization in Philly, they loved it. You know, they, the whole from the owner down to the GM, all that, you know, they're, you know, great guys. It's something, like I say, that stuck and it became our slogan. And I feel like it just fits us so perfectly because of what we've been through, you know what I'm saying, different players, the progress, the, you know, guys like Ben Simmons and Joe MB getting, getting hurt. And but that's the thing about MB, like you say, that's his nickname now. What a lot of people don't know is, you know, his set hit, me and, me and JoJo became super close because his, his second year of him getting, you know, back-to-back injury was also the year I had Tom ACL. And, you know, that's why, you know, people you know, talk bad about JoJo or saying this and that. And no one knows what he got, he got to go through. Like, trust me, it's hard to sit out one year from a sport you don't, you love to play and you can't play. But two, you know, you know how disciplined you got to be. You know how locked in you got to be. And that's why, man, I, I just, I'm just so happy for my bro, man, because, you know, averaging 20 points, barely playing, you know what I'm saying? And he's been through so much. And when I told him ACL, it was the second year, you know, of him, you know, recovering. And he, a lot of times he broke down, like, dang, two years of this tone. And it was that's another thing I love about Philadelphia because at the time I was 21 years old, was still considered like a captain or a veteran on the team because of how young we we were. So I was I was forced to grow up fast, and um, I, I, I'm usually a guy who leads by example. I was I was forced to lead vocally, and you know um, some 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 road trips where. Um, me and JoJo didn't go on the road trip. I wouldn't go you know, just so we can work out together and just so it's not by itself. You know what I mean? Because I know how it is when you want to play, but you can't play. But I don't know how they sell two years ago, so I can only imagine. You know, and, and you know, you know, some days, like everybody, you don't want to be bothered. You know, so I would feel that vibe from him and, you know, I would give him space. But, you know, um, we became so close and to see the hard work and to see what he's doing now, man. And that's why him and I we, we love Shirley Temple so much because <laughs> you know when we went when we went to uh, every every trip and no matter no matter where with the Shirley Temple extra grenadine the whole picture and then you know it's the funny thing I had joked when I had I had bought a whole thing just with the grenadine you know I had seen it. I didn't know it sold grenadine but I had seen <laughs> it and I bought it and I and I had posted on Instagram and added Jordan at MB and. He just went crazy, man. Like little stuff like that, man. It's, just knowing him personally, and that's why I'm like, I don't really hear what the media say about him like that because I know who he is personally. And how good for how him good do you think he can to be? have the process is, you know, 
what more could you ask for? Sorry, Tony. How good do you think uh, JoJo could be? Like, how, what's his what's his ceiling? Oh, uh, best big in the league, no question. No question. And you're not far from it. Yeah, he was. He was. I, we all thought he'd be good, but I think we were all pretty shocked at how good he was so quickly. He seems like he learns really quickly, you know. Yeah, and, and regardless of how many games he played, he should have been rookie of the year. They, they playing around with that. That's right. Yeah, you're on the right podcast today, Tony. I'll tell you, <laughs> you're talking to people that agree. Um, I hate to bring. Uh, I hate to go back to this, but uh, but I've long had about your your ACL injury. But I uh, I have this. I've had this theory for a while, and I, I feel like I have to ask you about it. I remember a game that year when you guys were playing uh, Brooklyn at the Wells Fargo Center. And um, you you went out of the game, you hurt yourself, and you came back in. But when you came back in, you didn't you didn't look right. And I was I was sort of screaming at the top of my lungs, "Get him out of there!" Like you look like a, a fighter that somebody should throw the towel in because you looked hurt. And then you played three or four more games, and then it turned out that you needed uh, the you had the ACL surgery. Was did you hurt your knee? In, like, was did the ACL thing happen in that game, or did it happen later, or do you not know when? It's crazy because I did think it definitely happened there. I, I thought it did at first because um, when that happened, it, it was the same feeling I had when I did it in high school in a football game. So immediately, I just you know I got super super scared like dang, on that again, but. It was a game where we was close. It had a, it was a very close game, and you know, I told, I told, I told coach, I'll be all right. You know, I went back in, and you know, after the game, I went to see the trainers. You know, they weren't saying anything bad. Then the next morning, I went to get an MRI, and it wasn't you know, a torn ACL. You know what I mean? So obviously, I don't think I did it then. You know what I mean? And it's weird because in between that, between that game and between the, the, the game where I actually tore it. My knee was feeling fine, you know. It, you know, it wasn't feeling weak or anything. But it was uh, like five, six games after that, and against Atlanta, you know, I went for a block and I was just landing wrong. And then it was just funny because it was the same exact pain. You know, I'm like, it's all good. Just you know, same thing happened in the Brooklyn game, but you know, obviously not. But you know, it did, it, it helped me tremendously because this time, my first time I did, I rushed back. You know, came back in like four or five months. This time, I really took my time. And didn't rush it at all, and was able to let it heal. And you know now it's better than ever. So at the time I was, I was so mad at the Sixers staff because I wanted to play so bad, but you know they were just telling me, you know, to to take my time. And I know, you know, I wasn't mad at the decision. I was just mad, you know, as a competitor, just want to play. But at the same time, I knew, you know, they was doing what's best for me, and they just only trying to help. So. At the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm glad. I'm thankful I had that staff to be able to, you know, not rush anything and just take, take the time. and It paid off. Tony, we got a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind. Uh, no you are big, a big UW guy, and the Sixers yeah. just drafted Markel Fultz with the first overall pick. Do you have a relationship with Markel? How do you think he's going to be in the NBA? Oh, yeah. You know, obviously, you, know, you, you can't really come – to the University of Washington and not have a relationship with the, you know, old guys who went there just because <laughs> of the fact, just a simple fact that, for one, you know, majority of the guys were from Seattle, so, you know, we come back all the time yeah. and play against the guys. And for two, you know, that's just how we are. 
especially guys like Markel, you know, like DeJounte Murray, for instance, him too, and mm-hmm. Isaiah Thomas, Terrence Ross, and guys like me. You know, we want to get to know guys, and we want to, you know what I'm saying? Like, for instance, when I was in college, I broke Isaiah Thomas's freshman record. And then, you know, this past year, Markel broke mine, you know, so it's like a domino effect where, you know, we passionate towards him. We want to continue to see the next big thing. And even if you're not from Seattle, you know, if you come to the University of Washington, your family does, you know. So my close friend, Quinn Cook, who went to DeMatha, same school mm-hmm. that Markel went to, he had told me before. Because I, I didn't really, because he came onto the scene late in high school, from my knowledge. So I didn't really hear about him until, you know, Quinn had called me and told me, like, yo, you got somebody serious. It's like going to be there for four or five months, but he's serious. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, he, you know, he's a great player. You know, definitely a, a guy to keep in contact with. And, you know, he went to, you know, right place. And I don't see nothing less than Richie here. So uh, my favorite Tony Roten specific memory was was the game winner against the Cavs at home. Uh, when I was there. Uh, I was at that game. Yeah, so it's, uh, I was – and it was, uh, it was a great moment. Do you have – uh, any specific games that you remember that you were like, oh, that was the one, or, or what are your your best game memories from being here? Uh, man, honestly, man, I used to love love our pregame and just to see the fact how much fun we had, you know. So every day in pregame, you know, we're dancing, have the time in the locker room. But you know, one game that I could say was against Houston, you know, being the first player ever to get a triple-double my first start. And I feel like that's, you know, special. I feel like it's something that could never be taken away from me. So, you know, that's definitely, you know, a moment where one of my biggest moments of my career and, you know, blessing happened in Philadelphia at home. You get to the rim as well as anyone I've ever seen. I, I don't, you know, it's it's pretty crazy to watch. Who in 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 your time playing in the NBA, who is the hardest? Who is the best at guarding you? Who is the hardest guy to get by? Um, to get by. Uh, well, honestly, there's really there was there's no one I don't know, anybody I can keep you in front of me. Yes, that is the right answer. I feel like that, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, since you asked the question, I would say Cleveland's defense because of how LeBron just sits back and plays free safety, and he's coaching the defenders who can't see. You know what I'm saying? Like screen coming or and they're packing it in. You know, so they're a very good team defense, and you know Jimmy Butler is a really good defender. You know what I'm saying? And um, you can tell that, you know, he cherished him and Kawhi are two of the three players who you can tell, you know, they're taking it personally. You know what I'm saying? And those are great, great defenders that I respect on and off the court. And I feel like two of the top defenders in the NBA. All right, Tony. So in your in your first year with the Sixers, 2013-2014, there were – you were one of 23 guys who played on the team that season. How many of those 22 other ones other than you can you name? <laughs> Myself, Mike, Mike. Uh, are we including um, preseason or just regular season? Just regular season. All right. Did, uh, Arnett Moultrie, uh, Evan Turner, Spencer Halls, Thaddeus Youngs. 
Uh, we know it's early. Huh? <laughs> we know it's early. Yeah, but, uh, was that was that Nerland first year, or I came after that? Uh, he was on the team, but he didn't. Yep. He was out for the year. Yeah, that was Nerland's okay. first year. Okay, Nerland's. Um, let me say it was it Jordan McRae. Wow. Uh, Sandra Blue, and Bernardo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elliot Williams, man. Um, yep. I'm trying to, I know him at the top of my tongue. Um, he was, he started at the two for us. Uh, yep. Oklahoma State. Yeah, exactly. He, he, he's the one who had like 36 the game I had, my triple double in. Which I'm yeah. talking about, so I count for at least half a point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> James Anderson. <laughs> James Anderson, right. Right, exactly. And, uh, there's so many that came and go, that, can't, that came and went, man. It, it's like, sometimes it's like, dang, do I want to build a relationship right now? Man, he might be gone for him. You know, that's what we always joke about all the time. But nah, um, yeah, I think, that's, I, I think that's all it's a name right now. Uh, this one, okay. This one's from the uh, from listeners. Uh, they want to know what's your the best shoes you ever played in, because you you were a shoe guy. You're definitely a shoe guy. Man, that's, that's definitely a, my problem, man. Uh, because I'm, I'm very 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 superstitious, and you know, um, if, if I have a bad game, I'm gonna wear, wear the shoes again, and if I do, I will, and you know. Uh, <laughs> It was kind of rough the first couple of years. You know, we lost a lot, so I went through a lot of shoes. But my favorite shoe, especially with 76ers being red, was the uh, I had against – it was the Iverson, you know, thing and against the Wizards on NBA TV. You know, it was, it was paying homage to him. And I had got some custom Jordans made and with the 76ers on it. And um, – it had his name on it, you know, number three to pay homage to him. Um, those had to definitely be the Jordan 10's customized personal edition that I had. Was definitely the, my favorite Jordan that I wore so far. Um, uh, th- there's a there's a a, le- a a story that's become a bit of a legend. Um, I know we're hitting you with a lot of stuff, but no, it's um, all good. I ain't worried about it. All right, good. All right, cool, man. Um, there was a uh, a guy who said that you had asked oh, on right. Twitter for someone <laughs> to fix your iPhone screen. <laughs> this definitely happened. I can tell by your laugh. <laughs> uh, and then and then I'm he came up. over and you guys play video games. Is that correct? Yeah, man. I'm, uh, people who know me know I'm terrible. You know, after, when my phone I'm dropping phones and cracking phones and losing phones all the time, man. Uh, so uh, it was late. It was like seven, eight o'clock, and you know the electronic store or the store that fixed my cracked screen was closed, and I was leaving um, to go to another city the next day. So I didn't really have time to go get you know, my phone fixed. So I just, man, you know, social media, man, you can do anything on social media. So I just happened to tweet it out and 
uh, you know, I got so many, you know, replies. <laughs> I just said, forget it. Who were the first ones to, to reply? And, you know, it, these guys were the first ones to reply. And I was like, come on. And then my friend I live with, like, how do you know that they even do this? You know, they <laughs> could just be talking. And, you know, saying, but I was just like, we about to find out, aren't we? So, <laughs> you know, they uh, they get, they come to my house. They don't they don't believe it's actually my house because, you know, my my uh, my friend actually open, comes to the door. So they're like, oh, we got the right house. And yeah, so you know, we, he brings them in the house. And you know, I was actually in the shower at the time, so they really didn't want to come in because they didn't even see me at all. <laughs> they're like, it's, it's the right house. So they just go crazy, you know, because you know they can't believe that. That actually, you know, in the house with me, and so uh, the my friends were already playing, you know, FIFA on the big screen. You know, when they came in, they were already playing, and they were actually kind of shy. Honestly, just trying to have more comfortable and not, you know, not trying to be so awkward and not trying to be, you know, like, oh, they just come pick my my phone and leave. You know, I actually, you know, appreciate this you know, when it comes to late night, late night, late night. So I just. I challenged them, you know, the FIFA and soccer. And, you know, one game, like the six, seven games, and, you know, they were all night playing games. But, uh, one of the, the three of them that came, you know, one of them, he like, fixed the phone. He was looking at the phone while we was playing FIFA. So it all worked out, man. It, you know, killed two birds and one stone, was able to play FIFA, you know, and bond. And I was, you know, blessed enough to where they, he brought all the materials and, you know, fixed my phone. And he came with a screen. I mean, what a case so I wanted to break it. So it was it was definitely a great moment, man. Well, well I, I got to tell you, so they told us, this is what's the funniest part about this story to me, <laughs> is that when they told you that they knew how to fix iPhone screens, they actually had no idea. So when you invited <laughs> them over, they went on YouTube and, and learned how to do it and then bought the materials and then came over. So they, wow. uh, yeah, they figured it out. So... <laughs> So it, that's crazy, yeah. man. That's YouTube, <laughs> man. I could have, I could have fixed it myself. Yeah, well, it's easier <laughs> to let someone else do it. Uh, um. So a lot of times people, one of the biggest stories of the la- of the, the few years you were here was uh, Sam Hinkie and what he was doing and uh, the whole plan he had. Did you have a much of a relationship with, with Sam? And if you did, what was that like? Uh, you know, all GMs are different. You know, so you have some GMs who um, like Mark Cuban who were hands-on with everything, going to every single game in the locker room. Oh, Sam was, you know, different he was from the, you know, more from a distance, and he was quiet. You know, he would, you know, walk through the, the 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 locker room and you know say hey hi to everybody. But he, he speak a lot. He was really to himself a lot. Still a great guy. You know, very smart. Knew what he was doing. But you know, I didn't really have a real, real relationship where we I could just call him on. You know, I seen him whenever I want to. A lot, and when he did come around, it was you know to you know to say his hi and you know just to you know look at the team. So um, we when we always spoke. It was always great vibes and it was always great conversations. But it wasn't. We didn't. I didn't really have like a super super close relationship with him. Not because I didn't want to or anything. Because I obviously did. But it just. Um, 
it was more of you know he was more on the business side and you know getting working on getting things done and you know really didn't speak much but so I didn't really have a super super close relationship with him but he we always you know seeing eye to eye was always on the same page and he was a great guy. Uh, so my. I was uh, just doing a little research for it, and I found out that your mom played for the Globetrotters. Is that correct? No, no, my auntie did. Your aunt, your aunt. Oh, okay, what was that like? Uh, I was I was too young. I don't even remember it. You know, I think it, ha- it honestly happened before I was even born. Okay. So uh, I just hear stories, and you know, being the first ever women, you know, the women's Globetrotter. You know, I know that's a big accomplishment, and. Yeah, actually, it's crazy you said that because she's, you know, getting her jersey retired at LSU this, this upcoming season during the football season. So uh, it's definitely great accomplishments. And, you know, it's a, a great family member. Who, that's who actually, you know, works me out sometimes. And it's a great family member to have on the team, on, on, on my on family, to be able to learn stuff from. And, you know, she shows me some of her old globe charters, and it's so crazy, man. It's even back then, you know, they was doing um, a lot of trick stuff, and you know the. Uh, but I, I just can say back then, the the defenders were actually trying to play, and the defenders were actually trying to win. It wasn't <laughs> so much of a you know a show like it is now, and you know it's acted out, and it's more for the kids now. You know, back then they're actually the the opposite team was trying to beat them, so it was a lot different from what it is now. All right. So the last question is sort of a, a silly one. Uh, a few years ago, I you know I had had six or season tickets years back, and I had canceled them. And we were in I think the first year of when you were here, and we were talking about what it would be like one day when the Sixers were in the playoffs again, when they finally made it. And Mike like said, these like these Sixers, these Sixers, the, like you the, guys, these specific, yeah. yeah, yeah. So Mike Mike said something to me. He was like, imagine in that playoff game, the crowd going nuts and there's a big defensive stand and Tony Roten slapping the hardwood. And that image made me go buy season tickets again, just imagining <laughs> you doing that. So the question is, in such a game, would you be one to slap the hardwood to get everyone psyched up? Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, when I, when, when I was there, you know, you know, depending on for, you know, the leader to want to just go in and, you know, I'm super emotional and I'm the one screaming and yelling if I'm getting a dunk or this and that. And I feel like that's what kind of drew me to the Philadelphia because you can and stuff like that. So, and you're talking about in the playoffs, you know, I'm doing it in the preseason game. So, <laughs> I mean, who knows what I'm doing so in the playoff game in Philadelphia, you know, something that the fans been waiting for and just waiting to explode, you know what I'm saying? So, and I can only imagine the type of things that be going on in the playoffs. Oh, um, man. Do, 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 uh, prediction, do you think the Sixers make the playoffs this season? One, they're getting better every year. For two, the roster have, you know, the three to finally getting some veterans, J.J. Redick, and not to mention everyone going to the West now. So, yeah, I just feel like it's opened up a lot of spots for for a, a lot of teams in the East. And you know, Philadelphia is definitely going to be one of them. 
Um, we can't thank you enough for spending so much time I- with us today. Um, we hope to see you back in the NBA real soon. And uh, you back would al- on the Sixers. Yeah, you would always be welcome back on the Sixers. You can, I can trust me on that one. Uh, is there anything like you have to promote that you want to mention before you go, or it, if no, that's fine. But I want to make sure you had the opportunity. No, no. Man, it's a pleasure. Man. Anything that deals with Philadelphia, I'm more than willing to, you know, to, to definitely do. And like I said, you know, I'll be back in the NBA and, you know, love Philly. Hopefully, it's in Philly. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I love the guys out there, still go out there to this day. So I just want to thank you guys, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, All right, man. And hope to see you back soon. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. Thanks, bro. Well, I think that went as well as possible, right? I mean, <laughs> you there? Love it. Yeah, that was perfect. Yeah. He was great. He gave us every story yeah. we wanted. We had the, the <laughs> phone story. Stories, yeah, a lot of origin stories. Yeah, Team WAP, Shirley Temples. I mean, that, this, that was, I, I can't thank him enough. Um, so before we call Ange, uh, the, um, uh, we should do, we talk about LL and then we'll call Ange real quick. God, that was good. He was so good. I was a little worried when his phone was bad in the beginning, and I didn't. I, I was too nervous to tell him that his phone was bad. But um, no, that was good. Yeah, it was perfect. Was so he was, he was very, very game to hang and just yeah. talk about whatever. Yeah, the best. Thank you, Tony. Uh, the so before we call Ange, the rights Ricky Sanchez is brought to you by LL Pavorsky Jewelers, our loan sponsor. LL is a jewelry store. That's why I say LL Pavorsky Jewelers here in Philly, seven hundred seven Walnut. LL has been with us since. Not since the beginning, well, in spirit since the beginning, but in uh, on the podcast for a couple of years now. We've had 44 of our listeners go and buy uh, engagement rings from LL Pavorsky, and all of them have been uh, all of them have been super happy with it. You know, um, well, oh, it's funny. One of uh, when I was reading the reviews the other day, one of the people in the review said he doesn't even listen to the podcast, but he saw somebody tweeting about a discount. If you say you listen to the podcast, so he went and bought a ring from LL, and he didn't listen to the podcast, but he said he did, and he felt like he got a better deal because of it. So that's uh, LL. He'll take you at your word that you listen to the podcast. He's a uh, a fantastic guy, an honest person, an honest. I don't know if I like that actually. He's got to start vetting people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ask them, give them trivia, right, Sergey Sanchez <laughs> trivia. <laughs> if you think my name is Matt. Then you just can't. It's not, <laughs> this kind doesn't count. Um, so uh, if you and if you want any any uh, price range that's going, and also I think the summer cabana sale is going on right now with LL. So you know up to a half elf on a lot of great non even engagement rings. So um, if you want to make an appointment with LL, or if you want to buy an engagement ring with LL, make an appointment with them. Call up two one five six two seven two two five two. I promise it's not scary at all. You can send them an email. Just go to LL before. Com or tweet at him at LL Pavorsky. And for every podcast, LL makes generous donations to the Alzheimer's Association of the Delaware Valley and the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Because just like Tony Roten, when you get to the rim of your relationship, you got to finish. <laughs> the rim of your relationship. The rim of your relationship. <laughs> okay. I feel good about it. Our good friend, Ange Goldstein, I'm calling him right now on the Skype. So I don't have to go away from the uh, the from phone. The, what a yeah. lead-in! Yeah, there he is. Wait, I can't hear him. And hey, Ange. oh, there Let's he go. is. Oh, he's doing the 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 face Skype, so I have to see him. 
Oh, wow. It's not, I, I, it was not on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so Ange is, a, uh, is an old friend, used to be the, the uh, WWE correspondent for the Spike Eskin show on WIP. Um, of course, uh, you've seen him on Twitter all over the place, but he is a TV guy as well, um, has been uh-huh. actually, actually is the, the person who introduced me and my wife to, uh, Nick Lachey as he worked on the VH1 morning show at the yeah. time. But wait, ha- wait, introduced him as in like physically introduced him or like you hadn't heard of Nick Lachey? No, no, and- come on. I'm a boy band guy. It was physically. Oh, that's right. Him. You are, you are, you are. Right. So Nick, Nick was the host of, uh, my old show. And so Spike and Val came up and we're in the studio audience and got to meet uh, the legend himself. Wow. And, uh, and Ange, of course, uh, Temple guy, Philly guy, and uh, big Sixers fan. But, but we have him on, well, of course, uh, and he's got a podcast as well. Uh, sorry you've been so busy. Did I get the name right? Sorry I've been so sorry, busy. Sorry I've been so busy. And I, I got to give you credit. First of all, I'm not a, uh, there's very few podcasts that I'm every episode listener. So I'm not an every episode listener, but I am an occasional listener. And I'm impressed on two levels. First of all, the podcast is good, especially without any real, you know, your, um, your, the, uh, I guess the premise of it is what have you been busy with, which, which isn't a very narrow lane, but it's, it, it's, a, uh, it's an entertaining podcast. But I'm mostly proud that you've continued to do it because so many people start podcasts and then just sort of blow them off, but you've continued to do it. So what, what has the, before we get to the TV show, which, uh, which is I watched this morning for the first time, before we get to the new show on MTV, how is the podcast going and how have you enjoyed that process? Well, first off, I'm honored to follow basically the prodigal son of the process here on uh, right. Sanchez's uh, podcast. So I'm, I'm honored. Thank you very much for having me. This, this podcast is my favorite online listener feedback podcast. <laughs> so, um, it's good to have that delineation. Yeah. I love that. No, but uh, so our podcast, sorry, I've been so busy. Uh, we're like 70 plus episodes in. We have not missed a week since we started. Obviously, we bulk uh, record every once in a while, but uh, we haven't missed a week. And the whole idea came from, uh, I'm sure it happens in Philly. I know it happens in LA and it definitely happens in New York. You walk around, you're like, yo, man, let's get a beer next Tuesday. And then next Tuesday comes and you're like, oh, man. I'm too busy. I can't do it. I, I'm, I, I'm busy. I got this. I got that to do. Um, so it's kind of a we're making fun of that and trying to dig deep into really what are you so busy doing? And a lot of times we find out that uh, you weren't really that busy. You were busy like <laughs> trying to figure out which bathroom in your office to use for an hour. You know, like all, we, we dive deep into the minutiae of people's everyday lives. And what we find is that uh, really interesting people lead really boring lives. Yeah. That's a great yeah. pod- podcast question. That's a great podcast premise. Tell me about your boring life. <laughs> it's well, yeah. it's essentially you're asking people to be like, I think you're lying. Yeah. And so, here's why here's why other people essentially going on the podcast is is uh is it like doxing yourself. Yeah, so uh we end every podcast on something called the blow off, which is tell us about a time recently when you've had to blow somebody off. Uh, and most of the times that people are blowing people off just because they don't want to do, you know, they don't feel like doing what they were asked to do. So it's like, oh, my dog has a, a vet appointment or I have to take my kids to something or I, I have a lot on my plate right now. So 
a lot of people's days, I mean, if you really break it down, is uh, it's a lot of minutia. And we dive deep into like your coffee order and like how you how you wake up in the morning and what are your bathroom rituals at work and like all that all that fun stuff. Mike, I'm sure in L.A. there's a lot of time wasting. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty busy uh, myself to even <laughs> continue this podcast. Actually. You know what it is? I don't know. I feel like it's gotten more. I, I, and I used to think it was just me. But talking about this makes me think it's not just me. What I'll do is, you know, I say it's for a concert, but it's not always for a concert. It's for anything. Um, it's I'll buy tickets or I'll say I want to do something. But then as the 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 reality of having to do that thing gets closer and closer, the idea of having to do anything drives me crazy and I don't want to do it. And I've even exactly. sold. So but that's what what is that? What do you think that is? Like, why do you think why do you think nobody feels like actually doing anything? We all just want to. We all just want to go home and 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 fire off like uh, hot takes on Twitter while we watch summer league basketball. It's so much safer. It is low risk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, so the TV show uh, premiered on MTV a week and a half ago. You're two episodes in, right? MTV. Yeah, MTV two. Last Thursday was our premiere, and we're every Thursday at eight thirty. It's a show called Vidiots. And we're uh, we're bringing music videos back. So the so, for, it's it's a pretty easy premise. It is like uh, if it's like MST3K or Beavis and Butthead, but but with like yeah. real normal people, not cartoons or or uh, or puppets. Silhouettes. Yes, silhouettes. So it's uh, hu- yeah, it's human Beavis and Butthead. It's pairs of comedians, like six pairs per episode, in different living room setups, and they watch new semi-new and classic music videos and sort of crack wise and and sort of lot you know real-time uh twitter essentially oh mike well yeah when the so you're between the two of us between the three of us actually all all mediums are pretty much covered and they throw thread weber in there for movies spike's got the radio you got unscripted tv i got scripted tv it's everything transformers and and Lee Pavorsky has diamonds. So yeah. we're, yes. yeah. we're that's good. the other the fifth the fifth estate of media. <laughs> well, yeah, so we're good. Can I ask you about making the show just a little bit? Because I was, sure, uh, uh, I, uh, you know, so there are some pairs of people that I think are in rhythm and right on, and there are some pairs of people that don't seem as in rhythm as as the pairs of people that do overall it's, it's a really funny show i enjoyed the show uh, beavis and butthead by the way my uh i would say one of my three or five favorite shows of all time how do you go about like putting together is how much is scripted how much is, is it com- it's completely unscripted and then do you go through all of the footage and then just splice the good jokes together because it seems like a real project putting that show together Right. Uh, so the first thing I'll say is um, in casting, we tried to find comedians that had actual outside relationships with the other comedian that we were pairing them with. So okay. in the case of uh, like this week, uh, Andrew Schulz and Akash Singh, those dudes used to be roommates. And like Monroe Martin and Derek Gaines, those dudes are like best friends from coming up in Philly, in comedy in Philly together. So um that 
it was a big push for us to have natural relationships happen on the couches. Can't always be the case. We some of the pairs they met for the first time in casting and they just hit it off. So, um, but we did that. That was an aim for us. But in terms of making the show. Uh, the two comedians come into their living room setup, sit down. We run the video uh, top to bottom uh, in real time for them, and we shut up and we don't stop the video and we let them stream of consciousness just um, comment. That's the first take. So we get all of their natural takes uh, start to finish. And then we roll the video one, uh, a second time, and that's when we pause the video at certain spots. And that's where the producers jump in with a whole host of questions like, look at that, look at this. Okay. What about that? What do you think about this? Uh, you know, act out this. What if you did that? You know, so that's where we sort of produce the, the comedy in the second take. And then that's really it. Like we every once in a while, we'll do a third take just to get some extra stuff. And then, yeah, then we go in the edit and we we pick jokes. We, we find all the best stuff. We build we build little narratives and and, and uh, build out those those act out moments. And and um, it was it, it's painstaking, but it I, it's just a super simple, fun show. And I'm, I'm like proud to bring music videos back to TV. You're the guy that's going to do it. We're It'll, doing it. Yeah, we'll look back on this moment. It, you know, it's <laughs> uh, it's funny, like. Um, you it's it's an, initially it's a six epi- you guys have a six episode run to start right yeah and this seems like a show that or any show really because i guess this is for both of you but it, it seems like a show that the longer you do it the the better you'll get at it so how do you handle like that pressure of having to make it good so quickly you know most podcasts you know i was talking to somebody who was, had started a podcast and he's about 20 episodes in and i was like well it'll take you 40 or 50 of them just to even get a rhythm but you don't really have that uh, we opportunity. got a ri- we got a rhythm pretty much day one <laughs> i mean it, but, but I'll, I don't I'll know. tell you I don't we made we made 20 Okay. Because the show we originally made the show for MTV's international markets. This was never supposed to air on American TV. Uh, it just happened to be that it was such a good show <laughs> that MTV Two here was like, you know what, we're poaching that. That's never happened before. So we made it for the European and Asian MTV markets, and uh, so we made twenty episodes out of the gate, and definitely. The episodes like 10 to 20 is when we really figured out, you know, we, we really figured out like how the sausage was made and, and we really hit our rhythm. Not to say that the first 10 are bad, but like we really knew what we were doing 10 in. So I think that there definitely is a learning, learning curve. We can't all be instant um, comedic successes like Mike Levin. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, Thank you. Yes. The um, uh, I think that was it. Um, shoot, I had something in my head and I lost it. Oh, just a quick, you're, as I said to start, you're a, uh, you were my wrestling guy when I was on WIP. The wrestling guy. The wrestling guy. Why do wrestling fans hate wrestling so much? It's a great question. It's just like, uh, really, you know, we're all self-loathing in some kind of way, but you know, wrestling is so, it's so fickle. The idea that, in the last 10 years, last 15 years, now that the curtain has been raised and we, like, it's not even really about what's happening in the ring anymore. It's about what's happening backstage. Yeah. It, I think that's led to the cynicism of, like, that sucks. That stinks. Why are they doing that? And knowing the answer to those questions, 
Like it used to be a, there used to be mystique. There used to be a mystery to wrestling. That's all gone. So yeah. now all that's left is all that's left to fill that void is like hatred. <laughs> it's so weird. It, it's and Wait. and there's so much wrestling too. And and you guys so watch all of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, if you stopped producing wrestling today you still would have wrestling to watch for the rest of your life just on YouTube or the WWE Network. Yeah. It's not about the wrestling, though. It's no. It's about the stories, but it's even, I, I don't know. It's, yeah. It's a very... It's just like this podcast isn't about the basketball. It's about the podcast. <laughs> yeah. What were, your, what were your thoughts on uh, Glow, the Netflix show? I loved it. I thought it was wonderful. I watched Glow. I grew up watching Glow. I know the rap song to, gr- to Glow. Um, actually, we just had the beatdown biddies, Rebecca Johnson and Kimmy Gatewood on Sorry I've Been So Busy. Um, so if people want to check that episode out. But I loved Glow. I thought it was a really accurate portrayal of uh, that time period. And then also, again, that show wasn't really about the wrestling. It was mostly about like the interpersonal relationships of like all of these uh, disparate people coming together to, to, uh, to achieve something and, and make something out of their lives. So it, you know, it, 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 it worked on two levels. It worked on like the wrestling nostalgia level and it worked on the, the it's a fantastic uh, dra- dramedy uh, Netflix show. So I, I hope it gets a second season. And uh, yes, uh, I loved it. Without, without getting, we're not going to fool anybody by, with our political leanings, but without going too far into that, your thoughts on the president's wrestling video with CNN? <laughs> well, first off, I was at w- I was in WWE at t- on, in 2006 when uh, a lot of that happened. So uh, for me, it was it was kind of nostalgic. But the stupid thing about that video is that if you if you play the actual video like two more minutes, you watch you watch you you watch Stone Cold like uh, stunner Trump. So. <laughs> It like it's like play the it, yeah it's like it's like a quote being taken out of context. If you play the whole video, he loses. <laughs> he loses in that particular instance. But I just thought it was it's just hilarious that the president of the United States like tweet like uh, used that as promotion for himself while in the office of the presidency. It's it's pretty crazy. But um, you know, Do you feel responsible. Uh, I'm not complicit because I was actually gone before that WrestleMania. Well, I'll, I, w- I was fired right before the Royal Rumble, which is <laughs> right before uh, WrestleMania. So it would all, I am not complicit. It would all be a lot more hilarious if it wasn't real. <laughs> it would be, it'd be a great TV show. Can I yeah. ask one Sixers question while you have me? Yeah. Oh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, this, this podcast isn't even about the Sixers. It's about politics, diamonds, and, yeah. and, uh, and, and user Sixers. feedback. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> user feedback. Um, no, so I, I texted this to Levin a while ago, and I think you teed it up. At, you were about to tee it up a few weeks ago, didn't, but uh, ran out of time. Let, I, I, I'm fascinated with the 1994 uh, NBA draft, especially um, as it pertains to the Sixers. That's right. And thinking about it in the framework of today with basketball Twitter. So if basketball Twitter and specifically Sixers twist Twitter and specifically writes to Ricky Sanchez, if all of that existed in 94, I'm fascinated to know what the takes would have been. What would the Levin hot takes would have, would have been about Sharon Wright and BJ Tyler? What would the Derek Bodner Godner takes be on that whole draft and the upside of all these players? Uh, uh, you know, what are the spike and Mike takes 
Well, uh, I got it into 1994. I got to tell you, before you answer, Mike, this is a fantastic idea for an off-season podcast. We do it as if it were 1994. Just do the podcast. That, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, well, if you don't want to waste your takes here and you want to do that as an episode, I, I, it's my pleasure. But I, that's that's what I sit and think about. That's uh, <laughs> that's where my brain goes. I'd have to brush up on my Eric Piakowski college <laughs> take. Yeah, I'll tell you, I would have fucking loved BJ Tyler. There, there's no question in my mind that yeah. uh, that yeah. I would have loved BJ Tyler. Honestly, I I love I currently love and thus would have loved Sharon Wright also. I would have I would have been all about it. I would have been I would have been glad they didn't take Montross. I would have been I would have been I honestly would have been worried they took Eddie Jones as like a Philly guy thing. Turns out Eddie Jones obviously had a great career. But yeah. I I would have been I I would have been down on him just because he's a local kid and assuming that that it would have been like a uh like just just a, a very very '90s Philadelphia thing to do. Who in Sixers, who in Sixers land would have been like leading the chorus for Lamont Murray? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I watched his uh, his cousin played at USC when I was there. Uh, what was his name? Shannon Murray. He was one of the best college point guards I ever saw. I don't think he ever wow. played in the NBA. You know, I, I know I know what I would have said too. I would have said uh, Jason Kidd. I was like, can't shoot. Fuck it. Don't want him. Exactly. Yeah. What would you do? It's what slow. would your YouTube rankings have been on that top ten? Oh, that's great. Oh, uh, well, that's J- a great question. Jalen Rose would have been Jaylen, way Jaylen Rose up would there. Yeah. Jalen Rose would have been high. Yeah, uh, this is a good but, idea. Like, the Sixers had two first round picks, and with that much fought, you know, it's like uh, this year when we had two first round picks. That's when I got. That's when I started thinking about it. Of like all of the time we all spent like pouring over that draft, and then. Uh, but none of that happened in 94. I mean, you, if you Google mock drafts, there's like three. Well, there was no internet. From I would have been I would have been very high on Vashawn Leonard in the second round. I loved Vashawn Leonard. I would have I would have been dying for him. Yeah. Um, he was always weird because he had like he was a little too thick for like a, a guard. He was so thick, I always thought. I like it. Stanley Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird. Well, Vichon anyway, Leonard. that 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 was my Sixers question for you guys. Uh, feel free to uh, continue us, us um, talking about it, but uh, I'll hang up and let you guys talk. <laughs> yeah, hang up and listen. <laughs> All right, thanks, Andrew. So watch his show. The show is Vidiots. It is on MTV Two Thursdays at eight thirty, and I put the link in the post on RightStrickySanchez.com where you can just go watch the first couple of episodes online. So. Oh man, thank you, and uh, sorry I've been so busy. Check it out on <laughs> iTunes. And I thought you were. Uh, I, I thought you were apologizing. I listen to you every Sunday on the treadmill, so I appreciate uh, you guys keeping the podcast going and uh, and and uh, you know keep pissing everybody off in Philadelphia. I appreciate it. Awesome, love you, buddy. Thanks, man. Peace. See it. All right. So that's the podcast. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the um, our political leanings. I would say one of the top three mentioned things on the on the uh, in the reviews was liberal agenda. Liberal agenda made a I, lot of a lot of. A I lo- believe. Yeah. All right. Uh, can I can I ask just like the term liberal agenda is people don't say conservative agenda. They don't. It's it's only. I don't think so. Yeah. I don't. I don't think there's. I don't think that that it, it is 
for me, all I hear is l- even not just relating to me. But I would love to know what that agenda even is at this point. Yeah, I don't even know what it is. Like, don't... for me, for me, it's wanting people to have rights. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. Cra- crazy. You know, honestly, most of the people that say liberal agenda aren't don't even know what conservative oh, yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. they don't even know. Or, or are, they're just joking. They're just mostly joking. Shit. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah, which is fine. All right. So, uh, wait, one what? one minute of reflection on Tony. Yes, one minute. Go for it. I want you to say first. Oh, um, I I really can't put into words. You know, when uh, we put this, I put this on Reddit that he was going to be on and ask for some questions. And there are a couple of people that were explaining why we like Tony Roten. And one person was saying that it was sort of like um, sarcastic or something. The, I, I love Tony Roten. Like, I, he is exactly the sort of player that I like. And I yeah. thought he was... You know, we we talk about what got us through those years, and it was players like him that we, deep in the the depths of our heart, knew might not be there when it turned around, but made it fun to watch. He was always fun to watch, even when he wasn't doing the right thing. And I and him be coming on the like him just coming on because somebody on Twitter asked him to come on is what this thing is all about. And I they've, I am, they've been asking they've been asking him to come on for a long time though. But he did it. You know, he just yeah, he, he did. did it. So I, I think he was a joy to watch, and he was really nice on the podcast, and I wish him all the best. I, it, it, it was awesome having him on. So that's my final thought. So we've now had, correct me if I'm wrong, but we've now had five actual NBA people on the podcast. Brett, Sam, Eric Snow, Nick Stauskas, and Tony. Is that the five? That's the five. Um, I can't think of anybody else. No, I don't think so. I think that's everybody. All right. Yeah. So we'll see. Right. Maybe another one next year. Yeah. <laughs> you, think, you think we get Colangelo on ever ever for uh, uh, any any reflection? I think if I pressed, we could do it. But do we really want to yeah. do that yet? You know, we'd, I don't we'd know. Ask, we'd ask two questions and you'd talk for 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, there that pushes the, the, the ask back another year. So. <laughs> All right. This uh, is- no, Tony's great. That yeah. was great. I really hope he gets a shot this year. I hope his knees hold up. And yeah, just guys that can get to the basket like that, uh, someone's going to give him a shot. I hope so. It's, it was weird to hear him say mid range, though. Yeah, it was weird. Maybe maybe he's just working working his way out. But he's got some some shot doctor's got to really make a bunch of money off of that because if if, they, if he can open up something with that shot, then. Honestly, he's a player. honestly, I really always thought he was always right around like 67% from the free throw line. I always thought if he could get to like 75 with the amount that he gets to the rim, they'll, they'll figure it out, you know? So uh, I agree. All right. Career, career 65% from the line. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So shame. All right. Best of luck. Anyway. To yeah. Great week. Yep. Thanks for listening to the Rice to Ricky Sanchez podcast, proudly brought to you by L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rice to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. 707 Walnut in Philly, always at LLPavorsky.com. Are you down with TTP? Seems like the no. rights to Robert Sanchez. <laughs> Good work, Matt. <laughs> See you. Later.
up, back up, let me get my chain of thought. I feel chill, but I feel like I'm getting ill. I got spain from the blood rushing through my brain. It's no surprise when I feel my temper start to rise. I'm about to snap, so you better give me room. I'm blowing up on the hit when they go boom. 